You're probably familiar with this phrase this morning, so if you are, I want you to finish it for me. If it's too good to be true, it probably is. You guys are an awesome audience this morning. If it's too good to be true, it probably is. Has anyone ever fallen prey to that? Where you were sucked into some late night infomercial of something that promised you rock hard abs with no work. Or I think about the, the, the slim fast, the shakes, the things that promise you. You don't have to change anything in your life. Just drink this and you will be a healthy specimen. Or how about a pyramid marketing scheme? You're invited to lunch with someone. I mean, aren't you craving to go back to lunch with people? You're invited to lunch with people back when we could do that. And you're sitting across the table from someone and you think that it's just a nice, casual conversation. And all of a sudden the laptop opens up and you realize I have been... Um, I have now been invited not to just a lunch, but something that with little work is going to make me a millionaire. And all of a sudden you realize you bought into it and you're still not a millionaire. These moments we can relate to because we dig deeper into these situations and we realize that the packaging did not fulfill the promise. In fact, you could say that you and I were overpromised something and the product underdelivered or the program under-delivered. Last week, we started a brand new sermon series that's going to take us through uh, most of the weeks of the summer called Life on Purpose, and we're looking at this character in Scripture named Saul, who is eventually going to become Paul. But Saul is this really interesting character, and you're going to see this snapshot here of Saul's life in just a moment, because what happened in Saul's life is he experienced great transformation. He has this very dramatic encounter with Jesus Christ, and what begins to happen is everybody around him begins to look and says, can this really be for real? Did God really change Saul's life? And it's as if they are just kind of waiting for it all to crumble, and they're waiting for it to all fall apart. And interestingly, the same thing could be said about you. The same thing could be said about me. Are you aware that there's eyes on you all the time? And if you're a person of faith, if you're here and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, all of the world is looking at you and they have various thoughts about these decisions that you're making. In fact, you say sometimes that you're driven by faith and that you live by faith and not by sight. And if you ever interact with someone that's not a follower of Christ and you say, well, I'm just living by faith, sometimes they look at you like you have three heads, don't they? How could you live by something that you can't see? Or how about this one? Maybe you're here today and you have struggled your entire life with this concept that God loves you no matter what you have done. That God's grace is sufficient for you. That when God sees you, he doesn't see you as the flaws and the shortcomings and all of the errors of your past, but he sees you as someone that he loves, someone that he sent his son to die for so that you could have life and that your eternity could be changed and that you could have full, rich life here on this earth. Maybe you're here this morning and when I hear, when I say those words, you hear them and they go in one ear and out the other because you would say, Pastor Jason, you don't know my past. You don't know what I've struggled with. You don't know how far from God I have been. And so God's grace is sufficient for me. Friends, those are not my words. Those are his words. Amen. His grace is sufficient for you. And sometimes it sounds a little bit too good to be true. But this is one of those moments when it's not too good to be true. It is the reality. Interestingly, when we look at our lives, people may even question our motivation. Why is he doing what he's doing? Or why is she doing what she is doing? Can Jesus really change them? Can Jesus really change you? Can Jesus really change me? 
In fact, we can't have a conversation, we can't ever have a sermon series called Life on Purpose without starting here, where Jesus changes you because you and I will never fulfill our purpose if we don't understand that Jesus desires to change us and transform us and to make us new and to make us whole. So if you don't hear anything else I say today, I want you to hear that a life on purpose starts with understanding that Jesus desires to change you. And this snapshot of Saul's life gives us some great insight into that. And so I'm excited as we look in to Acts chapter 9. And I'm going to ask you to just join in with me and just listen and to, to say, God, what is it that you want to teach me today about living a life that is changed for you? Now, Acts chapter 9, verses 20 through 31 is where we're going to go. If you hop on the app, you're going to be able to follow along. You're going to see these words up here on the screen. Or perhaps you have a mobile device or a Bible with you. And so you can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 9 verses 20 through 31, but I'm going to give us some backstory on what gets us to this point. Some of you weren't able to be with us last week, or you weren't able to hop online to see the message. And what has happened in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19, is Saul has gone to Damascus, or he's on the road to Damascus, and on the way to Damascus, he's going to basically try to bring back as prisoners everyone who is following the way of Jesus. So this guy is on a very evil mission. And on the road to Damascus, he has this blinding encounter with Jesus. Jesus meets him on the Damascus road. He goes into three days of darkness, figurative, literal darkness. And in that darkness, he sees the light of Jesus. He sees the light. He sees the hope that can only be found in Christ. And Jesus places upon him a mission. And he says, you are my chosen instrument to go reach the Gentiles. And Jesus raises up another man named Ananias who goes and who speaks life into Saul's life and who says, God has a plan for you. And so Saul's life is forever changed, is transformed because of this encounter with Jesus. And that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 20. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's hold up for just a second. What? At once? This guy just met Jesus. A few verses ago. And now at once, he is already preaching. For some of us, we've been walking with Jesus for a long time. And we read this verse of scripture and maybe we say, maybe I need to be doing a little bit more. Because Saul had this very dramatic encounter with Jesus and it did not hold him back. He says, at once, I'm going to say, put me in. I am ready to go. I am ready to be used by you, God. And so at once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished. And asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan, and day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. And when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. And when the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. And then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. There is so much significance in how this passage of Scripture starts. 
Because see, Paul at once, after immediately encountering Jesus, begins to preach in the synagogues. And he's preaching this message of the gospel, the message of the gospel that Jesus Christ is for you. It's like we've been singing today, that he is for you. He is for you. He is with you. He loves you. And it probably doesn't take much uh, Bible study on your part to imagine how this was perceived by others. Because where is Saul doing this? He's, he's doing this in the very setting that he went to wreak havoc upon. In, verse, in fact, look at verse 21. What, what's the result of Saul's preaching in verse 21? All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? It's as if all of these men and women are lining up and they're looking at each other and they're saying, Are y'all seeing this? This guy who is teaching in our synagogue, he's the very one who came here to wreak havoc. He came to take prisoners. In fact, his reputation, which is not good, has preceded him. And now we're supposed to trust him. If I'm this group, I'm thinking one of two things is going on here. Choice one is God has really changed this man's life. That's choice one. Or choice two, I'm thinking he's trying to kind of sneak in here and become like us so that he can really think, if we, he can make us think that he's a safe space, a safe place, and then all of a sudden, he's going to just pop out from behind the door and kill us all. Now, what a smart move it would have been by Saul to get infiltrated into the ranks, but that's not at all what is going on. Something had happened, and there was a difference in Saul's life, and it begs you and I to ask ourselves this question. You see this question on the screen, and you see it there on your app. When Jesus transforms you, what areas of your life should be noticeably different? It's a great question to ask yourself. When Jesus transforms you, what areas of your life should be notably different? See, God is making it abundantly clear here in this passage of Scripture that when we have an encounter with him, it should not be business as usual for us moving forward. In fact, our attitudes should change. Our hopes should change. Our priorities should change. And, and there should be some things that are different. See, we have a before Christ agenda, and we have a with Christ and beyond agenda. And friends, I want to let you know, those are two different agendas. The agenda that you had for your life before you were walking with Jesus should be a different agenda than you have right now if you are walking with Christ. And in that relationship with him. And I want us to flesh that out for a little bit, starting with sin. See, our response to sin and moving away from sin should be a priority for us right now if we're walking with Jesus Christ. Sometimes we look at the world and we say, well, I wish the world would act more like Jesus. I never expect the world to act like Jesus. Why? Because the world doesn't know Jesus. Well, we got quiet in here. Do we ever do that? Do you ever do that? Is it just me? I mean, as an audience of one, do I ever look at all the people who aren't here at church and say, I wish they would just be a little bit more like Christ? Of course I wish they'd be a little bit more like Christ. But why are they not like Christ? Because they don't have a relationship with Jesus. And yet, what am I supposed to do? I'm over here walking with Jesus. My agenda should be different. My moving away from things that are not holy, moving away from things that are not pleasing to him should be a priority in my life. How about the way that you parent? Dads, moms. See, a before Jesus agenda with parenting looks a little bit different than a walking with Jesus parenting agenda. Because see, our desire as parents now is not just to raise kids that go out and make a lot of money, but our desire is to raise kids that would fall madly in love with Jesus Christ. 
and that their agenda would be set by him. See, it's something for us to be aware of. What about living a life on purpose? Do you guys ever realize that when you encountered or had, and had that moment or that experience where you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, our purpose looks a lot different than it did before, doesn't it? And that's ultimately what Saul is trying to get us to understand. And that was so noticeably different by those that were seeing him. And as a result of that, it's going to be different when you and I allow Jesus to set our agenda. Now, after coming into a relationship with Christ, there is one thing, however, that I think we move so far away from that's really an error on our part. There's this one area of our life that we should be really attuned that doesn't need to necessarily change so drastically when we come into a relationship with Christ. Because often what happens is when we come into a relationship with Christ, who do we start associating with? We start associating with everybody who's just like us. And that's not inherently bad. It's not inherently bad. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. But the more and more we walk with Jesus, and maybe I'm the only one that's guilty of this, but the more and more that I've walked with Jesus, the easier and easier it has become to distance myself from people that don't know Jesus and that don't have a relationship with him. And this is one of the things that God's trying to teach us through this passage as well, that Saul stepped up at once and lived out the message of the gospel in front of the very people who were terrified of him and who were scared of his Actions. Look at verse 22 to see a little bit of their response and Saul's response. Yet Saul grew more and more powerful, and he baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. See, they were baffled because things start to press in on Saul, and, and he realizes that now this group is really afraid of him, and, and they're seeking to, to understand, can this guy really be trusted? And he begins to be squeezed on a little bit, and pressed in on, and challenged, and he goes through some of these crises, and what comes out of him, according to Scripture? In verse 22, he grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that who? That Jesus is the Messiah. So when he was squeezed, Jesus came out of him. I want to give you a little bit of an illustration this morning, um, and I'm not going to make all of the tech team really mad, so I'm not really going to fully go through with all of this illustration, but I want you to just imagine for a second that this is your life, okay? This is your life. Now, you guys are a really smart group of people. What's going to happen with all the water in this bottle if I squeeze it? I'm not going to do this. I'm making them all really nervous right now. Right, I just made, they're not even in here yet, so I'm just making them all really nervous. Josh and Bill back there are like, please don't drop that water bottle. But if I just get squeezed a little bit, it starts happening. I mean, something is coming out of this. Now, let's just go through a big squeeze. I'm not going to do it, but you guys can imagine. I mean, the old faithful geyser is going to happen here in this moment. Your life is going to go through some moments where you're going to get crushed a little bit. You're going to experience some challenges. You're going to go through some discomfort. And friends, I promise you, something is going to come out of you. 100% of the time, something will come out of you. It will either be Jesus or it will be something else. It will be an understanding of I'm on God's agenda or an understanding of I'm on the world's agenda. This is one of the most simple truths but yet one of the most difficult to live by. And I beg you to ask yourself this question as well. Do people around you see Jesus shining through you, or do they see something else shining through you? Do the people around you see Jesus shining through you, or do they see something else? See, Saul baffled the Jews because of what Jesus had done. They were so amazed by this transformation 
But they were also taken aback. And ultimately, Scripture says that he was able to prove to them that Jesus is who he really said that he is. I believe one of the most pressing questions you can ask yourself every day, wake up every morning, look at yourself in the mirror and say, are people going to see Jesus shining through me today or are they going to see something else shining through me today? Do people see Jesus shining through my actions? Do they see Jesus shining through my words, my attitudes? Do people see Jesus shining through my social media feed or do they see something else? Because see, Saul was brilliant. I told you this last week. Saul was highly educated. Saul was the kind of guy, if you were in a room with Saul, chances are you would not be the smartest person in the room. This guy knew it all. Literally, I mean, he was a man of deep intellect. He knew the Old Testament forwards and backwards better than anybody probably contemporary of his day. I mean, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, so you were not going to outsmart Saul. But yet it wasn't his intellect that he relied upon that made others stop and take note. It wasn't just how smart he was or how good of a communicator he was or how brilliant he was that made those around him who were baffled by this message stop and take note. See, now why did the world stop and take note of Saul? The world stopped and took note of Saul because he came to kill the Christians and now he wants there to be more of them. That's why they were baffled by the message. Why? Because this guy showed up to stop our message and now he wants to see the message grow. See, when you're squeezed, do people see Jesus come out of you? Or do they see something else come out of you? There's so many things in the world right now that I'm burdened by, and I'm assuming that this would be the case for you as well. I'm deeply burdened and have been for the past several years in my life about uh, tensions, racial tension that we're experiencing as a nation. And these conversations are nuanced. These conversations are not simple conversations to have, but conversations that I hope that you are having. In fact, as a church, we desire to have those conversations. It's never my desire as a leader. It's never my desire as a congregation or as a church to stick our head in the sand when it comes to having a difficult conversation, but rather to say, no, God, show us what you desire to teach us. Show us how Jesus would have us respond and ultimately show us what it means to love and show me what it means to love. Show me what it means to, to listen. Show me what it means to learn. And I'm so grateful for the conversations that have happened and that will continue to happen. But this is one of those areas. So it's an area when you live your life that people see Jesus shining through or they see something else. And I pray that when the world looks at you, they see Jesus. In fact, I want to share with you uh, about a four-minute clip, and this is from a, about a 20-minute conversation that our lead pastor, Jeff Simmons, had with uh, George Mondera. And George uh, is a dear friend of ours and serves very faithfully in the life of Rolling Hills and with Justice and Mercy International. And, and Jeff and George have, uh, again, a much longer conversation, but you're going to see just a, a smaller portion of the conversation about race, about fatherhood, and ultimately how Jesus can shine through us at all times. Take a look at this. George, thanks for sitting down with us today. And happy Father's Day to you. Thank you, man. Happy Father's Day to <laughs> you, Jeff. You. It's I, great. Love, I love being a dad, you know. That's awesome. Uh, tell us about your family. Yeah, so uh, I have one wife. Yeah, Her name good. is Lucy. And, uh, and, I would be, and we've got two daughters, uh, Savannah, who's eight, and Summer, who's five. So tell us where you grew up, and then what brought you to the U.S.? 
So I was born in a country called Zimbabwe, yeah. you know, which is a country in the southern part of Africa. And uh, I've got eight, uh, seven brothers, so the eight boys in our family. So I grew up in Zimbabwe, that's why I did my school. Then I finished up with that and then moved to South Africa. Spent four years in South Africa and then moved to the UK, yeah. to Manchester, you know, uh, joined another band. It was music that took me over there. And uh, that's where I got to meet Lucy, got married. We've been married for 18 years. Uh, and then we lived in uh, the UK, you know, for almost 15 years, I'll say. And then we moved to Germany, you know, where we spent, uh, uh, you know, two and a half years and, and then made the transition to the US. This whole issue of race has got to be a big deal. It's always been a big deal in the United States, but even in the UK. And so tell me about your experience now. Uh, being a person of color living here in America, what's it been like for you? You know, I mean, obviously where we live here in Williamson County and Franklin Thompson Station, you know, I'm a minority, yeah. you know, and so I, I feel some of the things um, that I've had to, uh, to deal with is, is just feeling stereotyped, it's, it's, I mean, stereotyped, you know, and, and being put in a box, you know, and so, you know, Lucy is, is white, right. you know, she's British and, you know, we, we were spending some time in Leapers uh, Fork and uh, with the kids and and obviously, you know, I came across a bunch of guys who didn't, obviously, you could tell, they didn't agree with our, our marriage, you know? And, and, you know, and we were approached and some things were said. And, and, you know, it was difficult because, you know, you're there with the kids and as a father, you're thinking, oh man, you know, how do I deal? You don't want something to escalate. But it's something that, you know, it's a reality of what stuff that's happening over here. What do you think is, uh, is at the heart of it? What do you think is at the heart of the issue uh, when you come down to it and you look at this? racism and these racial tensions well, what do you what do you think is coming from we've got to understand one thing that you know we are different yeah. you know we are different and so god said he made us in his image yeah. you know and that's everything and so so when we you know when i judge someone you know because they're different you know i think that's a, a you know we kind of say well god i don't really agree with your creation wow. i don't love your creation you know you know i'm doubting you know what you made i don't like what you made we got to go back to the beginning. We got to understand, educate ourselves, you know, about why this is happening. We, you know, we've got to educate ourselves and and also then listen. You know, why is it happening? We have to continually have dialogue. You know, uh, you know, Dr. King said something really interesting. He says, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, end up hating each other because they fear each other. Wow. You know, and uh, they fear each other because they don't know each other. You know, they don't know each other because they don't have a relationship with each other. A lot of bad things happen in the world, Jeff, because too many good people stay silent. Yeah. So we need to speak out. And, um, and as a church, I feel like as well, we've got to, uh, you know, love requires us, uh, you know, to get out, of our, get out of our comfort zone. You know, we need to uh, adjust our position to change our perspective. What do, you, what do you say to your kids? How do you talk to them about this whole issue of race? I mean, you know, that's been hard because obviously uh, Savannah is at an age, you know, where um, uh, she, you know, she kind of understands a lot more what's going on. But we, I mean, we've had to almost even uh, had to talk about it because with Summer, mm. we actually had an experience in the school where there were kids who said, you know, they didn't like, you know, uh, because of her color. But yeah, we just got to talk to our kids. I, you know, I just try and just confirm them that God loves them, mm. you know, that they're just amazing and that, you know, we love them. Yeah. You know, so. Hey, as a Christ follower yeah. and, a, and a dad yourself, you know, what do you hope for your kids or what do you hope for the world in the future? We need to 
come together continuously, you know, and fight for it. You know, it's not easy, but, um, you know, and, and so, you know, my prayer is, Lord, you know, just uh, let me be more like you. You know, Jesus loved people. He loved people, you know, and he went to where the people was, you know. And the Father is perfect, yeah. you know, and, and everything, he's, he's enough. Everything that we need is in him. So we, you know, we need to become more like him. You know, and I, and I feel the more we all become more like him, you know, a lot of these things, will, you know, will get sorted out, I feel. Yeah. Will, you join me today in all situations that you find yourself in in life to commit to allow Jesus to shine through you. To not allow the world to shine through you, but to allow Jesus to shine through you. Can you commit today to allow him to set your agenda? And when you allow Jesus to set your agenda, friends, I'm going to promise you, he is going to use you. In fact, may I add, he will radically use you if you allow him to be the one that sets your agenda. Now, not everybody's going to understand you following Christ's agenda. But when you set your sights on him, you can trust that he is the one that's going to write the story exactly as it needs to be written. In fact, let's take a glimpse here at Saul's life. And you're going to see very clearly on the pages of Scripture how others perceived the agenda of Christ that Saul was seeking to follow. Look at verse 23. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. He's following Christ's agenda. And what did the Jews around him decide to do? We don't really like that message either. And so we're going to seek to just stop you now. But Saul learned of their plan in verse 24. And day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took and brought him to the apostles. And he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So this conspiracy now sets in place where they're trying to stop Saul and men took guard to watch his comings and his goings in order that they could trap him. And then Saul finds him a really good friend group. You find some friends like this, friends that they lowered him, you know, out of a, out of a ceiling through the wall so that he could go and escape. And ultimately he, go, he, he goes and he tries to join up with the disciples. And what was their perception of him? Ooh, I'm not really sure that we can trust you again. But praise God, there's this guy named Barnabas in verse 27. What does Barnabas do? Barnabas steps up and he vouches for him. And he says, trust me, guys. I have seen what God has done. Saul is not here to harm you, harm you, but he is here to link arms with you and to help lead and to help point people to a relationship with Jesus Christ. I believe in all of my being that I will never truly live a life of purpose if I don't have people who are standing in the gap for me. And may I add that I don't think you will live your purpose if you're not standing in the gap for some other people. And if you're not being a Barnabas-type figure to those that you come in contact with, you see it there on your notes, never underestimate the way God can use you personally in the life of another person. Let me repeat, never underestimate the way that God can use you personally in the life of another. See, Barnabas' vote of confidence for Saul, that was a game-changer. And that's what allowed him to come and to be welcomed into the group. I could talk for hours up on end about these people in my life. And I pray that you've had some of these people in your life. I certainly have. I've had some people in my life, a handful that really come to mind that were Barnabases for me, that stood in the gap for me, maybe when nobody else was willing to do that. 
I think about my college minister, whose name is Gene Parr. Gene Parr is one of the finest individuals I have ever had the privilege of knowing, that I've ever had the privilege of serving with. And Gene saw something in me as a young college student that I don't think anybody else saw in me. And I am eternally forever grateful for that investment that he made in me. You know, Gene would sit with me and, and he would help me understand God's word. I found out a story about something he did for me years after it happened, and this was just classic Gene. He was so humble, so he was never going to tell you what he was actually doing. But I had applied for a summer job, and this summer job, friends, was really the, looking back, was really probably one of the more pivotal moments in my life that set me on the trajectory that I'm on right now. And it was a summer camp experience, and God really got a hold of my life in that experience. And I had applied to be a part of that summer camp, and I got the letter that says, we're sorry, but your services aren't needed this summer. You know, try again next time. And so I started making alternate plans. Well, about three weeks later, I get a call from the people again saying, actually, we have a position for you now. Come be a part of the summer camp. I thought the whole time it was just because they missed something in my application. And they realized, you know what, this is a great guy. We need to hire him. I didn't find out until probably 10 years later Gene calls, not the boss, but the boss's boss's boss at this company and says, you all made a royal mistake. You passed over a guy you needed to hire. Three weeks later, under Gene's recommendation, they call me and they said, we have a position for you. See, there's a guy like Gene who served as a Barnabas to me that says, yeah, I'm going to vouch for this guy. You need to give him that position. I think of a guy named John Barron who was the first person that, that trusted me to serve in a ministry capacity and gave me way too much responsibility for somebody my age. And what did he let me do? He also let me fail and he helped me know what to do when those mistakes were made. See, God desires to use you in that way as well. God desired to use Saul in that way, and that's ultimately what he did, because see, Saul goes on to mentor others. He goes on, as we're going to see a little bit later in the summer, to model for others, and I believe with all of my heart that he will use you if you allow him to use you. That's what living a life on purpose is really all about. And as you see at the conclusion of this text today, with each successive experience, with each successive celebration, in fact, with each successive setback, Paul just continued to be faithful to Jesus. He continued to be faithful, and he realized that living a life on purpose just means I'm going to continue to be faithful. I'm going to desire to live my life to be wherever he wants me to be, and I hope and pray that you and I will put a stake in the ground today and say, that's what I want my life to look like. In fact, people sometimes will ask me, what's your vision for your life? Or what's your vision for Rolling Hills Community Church? And the most simple way that I know how to answer that is faithfulness. What's the vision for my life? I desire today to be faithful to who God desires for me to be. I desire to be faithful today and obedient to what it is that he is asking me to do. I believe that one of the key principles to living a life on purpose as we wrap up today. I believe that one of the key principles to living a life on purpose is believing and knowing that I must decrease and he must increase. That I must decrease and that he must increase in and through me. John 3.30 reminds us of this truth that he must become greater and I must become what? Less. He must become greater and I must become less. How are you becoming less? How are you allowing him to become greater? Because when you trust him with your life, when you trust him with your plans, when you trust him with your agenda or his agenda and you decrease your agenda, he catapults you into living a life on purpose. 
there's a pandemic that's sweeping our world right now, and you think that I'm talking about COVID, but I'm not. <laughs> there's a pandemic that's sweeping our world right now, and this pandemic looks like this. You and I tend to put ourselves in the center, and we allow everybody else to orbit around us. We make life about who? We make life about us. We seek to live where my needs get met, and then if I have anything that's left over for everybody else, then I will share this. There's such a shortage right now in leadership. There's such a shortage in parenting. There's such a shortage in relationships right now of humility and of just saying, God, I desire to decrease and I desire to allow you to increase in and through me. And when we seek to live that kind of life, a life on purpose, then Jesus is honored and glorified. And what begins to happen with those around us, they begin to look at us and say, my goodness, there's something different about her. There's something just different about him. He seems to be so faithful no matter what storms are happening in his life. She seems to be so sold out to Jesus Christ and seeking to follow his agenda. I don't know how she does that in the midst of the challenges that are coming her way. See, to live a life on purpose is to live the life that Jesus showed us. And Jesus beautifully showed us a different way, a different path that's marked by love. So my question to you is, how are you going to look different? How are you going to live a life on purpose as a result of Jesus changing you? For Saul, he showed up saying, I'm here to stop the message. And after three short days, he transitioned to, no, I want the message to grow. May you and I be men and women who are marked by that dependence on Christ and that commitment to fulfill his purpose for our lives. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this beautiful day of life. Thank you for this reminder today that living a life on purpose is really all about you. It's not about us, but it's about seeking to fulfill your plans, seeking to fulfill your agenda, seeking to fulfill what it is that you desire to do in and through us. I pray that in this time of continued worship today, as the band leads us, as we reflect upon who you are, that you would just speak to the person here today that may not be walking with you. And I pray that you would set their sights on you, that we would move away from the agenda of the world and ultimately to realize that a life on purpose means allowing you to be the one that calls, plays, plans shots in our life. We're grateful, Lord, for this opportunity to be in your presence, and I pray that in this moment of response, this moment of reflection, that you would be honored, that you would be glorified in the way that we live and the way that we respond. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen.